I think I've gone from no air tags to now like hundreds. Yeah. Uh, of of all the things that I want to put stuff. I want yeah, I want a bunch of air tags. Just one for everything. Yeah. Forks, knives, you know, the lot. <laughs> you know what? You could put an air tag in your car to help you find it <laughs> like in a parking garage. That would be pretty good. I'd Go for subscribe that. to that one. I think I've I've justified a, a four pack already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna start a new podcast, Anna. Uh, it's just gonna be the AirTag Show, and it's just yep. gonna be us coming up with neat ideas for AirTags. Be a very limited series. I'm down with that. <laughs> a very short series. Yeah, I yeah. like that. But I I think opening it broader to just where you generally put things would be a good podcast. <laughs> where did you put it as a ah. podcast? There you go. Welcome oh. to the Where Did You Put It podcast. <laughs> Today we're talking about air tags. Where did you put it? God, I love it. You will never guess where my kids put the remote last night. <laughs> well, should we maybe get into some Watchtower Weekly, which is named I think so. after our wonderful Watchtower service that helps keep you safe online by warning you about breaches and and reused passwords and stuff like that. So our first one is from The Verge, and its server glitch allowed Eufy owners to see through other homes' cameras. Uh, so last night, a number of Eufy home security camera owners discovered they were able to access smart camera feeds and save video. That's the worst bit there, save video. Jeez. Mm. Uh, from, from users they had never met uh, due to an apparent security glitch. First reported by 9to5Mac, the issue came uh, to light in an extended Reddit thread in which users from around the world detailed their experiences. Uh, One user said, basically, I could see every camera, their front door, back door, master bedroom, living room, garage, kitchen, their motion recordings, everything. One Eufy owner noted, I was wondering what was going on. It still had my email address and it was still signed in with my name. And I noticed that some unknown email was there. I'm guessing some owner in Hawaii was in my shared guest account. Some reported signing out of their account and signing back in resolved the behavior. But yeah, this is for a security product to become completely unsecure. It's pretty worrying. So Yuffie told Android police that the problem lasted only an hour and did not affect baby monitor products, attributing the issue to a server error. So you can rectify this by uh, unplugging and reconnecting the home base, uh, logging out of Eufy security app, and then log in again. Um, but there's no indication that specific individuals were targeted as a part of this bug. It is still, however, incredibly troubling on all accounts. I have some Eufy cameras, obviously pointing outside of my house, not pointing inwards. Because I, you know, don't like anything that is camera related attached to the internet uh, pointing inwards to my house when I am there. No. But, you know, there's lots of sensitive videos that I have of people coming to my door through my through my doorbell. So, like, you know, this is worrying for me personally. Or also for me personally, I purchased the UFE doorbell because I believed at the time that they were going to implement HomeKit support very quickly. And then they did not. No. Uh, so my doorbell is not secured through HomeKit Secure Video, which would have meant that this wouldn't have been a problem because if you connect something through HomeKit Secure Video, it does it a different way that is not through this. So yeah, very, very worrying. Mm. Yeah, it keeps all the video encrypted to your iCloud account directly and it doesn't go to the manufacturer's servers or anything like that. What's interesting about this one is that like this, so this wasn't a breach. This wasn't like an attack or anything else. This was a server error on Yuffie's part. I think the thing that is 
interesting, especially when you look at this from like uh, how we've architected one password is your passwords would never show up in my vault through some server error, right? It's, it's cryptographically impossible for that to happen. But this seems like it was very clearly just some crossed wires. And so that, like what's actually protecting my feeds, my video from being seen by other people other than just, you know, policy and, and programming. There's not a lot there, which is I don't like it. I no. do not like it at all. Yeah. This is like some horror movie shit, right? It's like yeah. Yeah. paranormal activity, except worse because it's actually yeah. real life and not a movie. If anybody hacked into my doorbell, they would see recordings that I've saved of my wife not being able to, to put the key in the lock properly. Because that's really amusing <laughs> to me. It's, it's like, oh, damn it. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's the entirety of my video saved collection uh so righty tighty lefty loosey <laughs> they could view it like a sitcom almost uh so this next one uh, apple air tag hacked again free internet with no mobile plan data what but N- naked security recently wrote about a jailbreak <laughs> hack against apple's newly introduced air tag product in that story the researcher was able to modify the firmware on the tag itself despite the anti-tampering protection implemented by Apple's own firmware. But this attack, if that is the right word, is different because it doesn't involve modifying or cracking the AirTag itself. It involves the AirTag protocol on a Bluetooth device that doesn't have internet connectivity in order to trick nearby Apple devices into sending data over the internet on its behalf. So very loosely put, free internet access (laughs) that is crazy (laughs) there's some spectacular limitations on bandwidth and and latency of course but in the paper describing the hack the device was essentially used as a cheap and easy programmable esp32 bluetooth slash wi-fi chip which are commonly used in internet of things devices and easily available from hobby electronics the proof of concept by Fabian Browline, the researcher who came up with this, has dubbed it SendMy, because that's a pun on an Apple's own FindMy service, which AirTags call home when they're lost, even when they don't have internet connections of their own. So yeah, he's he's essentially using AirTags as a, as a modem almost. Mm. <laughs> that's really something. Which is very smart. And also, I imagine it will be locked down fairly quickly based on this paper. I mean, you would hope so. <laughs> I would think so, yeah. I, I love the way security researchers think. This is so great. Just like, oh, these air tags are using everyone's internet connection to sort of share, uh, to sort of ping their information back. I wonder if I could use that to just use other people's internet connections. <laughs> it's so good. It kind of reminds me of that thing that I think a few providers in the UK certainly have. BT being one of them. I, I think Virgin Media has it as well, where if you are a Virgin Media customer, you can use anybody around's guest Wi-Fi network just because you're a Virgin Media customer. Oh, yes. And, I mean, I immediately turned that off because who knows where the policy gray line is mm. written with that, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> they say you can't get into the router from that Wi-Fi network, but who really knows? How interested are you two in getting an AirTag? I haven't ordered one. I, I haven't ordered one either. I don't go anywhere to lose anything no. at the moment. Um, <laughs> I'm interested right. to put one on my sister's dog and see if it can you know contract the dog <laughs> that's about that's where my level of interest actually you know what i would if i if i still owned a dog i would put one on the dog yeah i would absolutely i would i would get a little dog collar and i would keep the air tag on the dog because i think that that's a cool use case so your dog could give people free internet access <laughs> there you go 
Wi-Fi dog. No, wait. My dog could get internet access could for people yeah, yeah. for free. For free. Right. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Just, just like get a little computer, put it on the dog and like treat it like a, a, a kind of um, a torrenting. A roaming. Like it, it would just run around stealing all the internet and, and, and sharing torrents from it. And then the only person to blame would be a dog. Yeah. There you go. It's a good business plan. <laughs> if it were traveling times again, I would consider getting one for luggage. Yes, that uh, that's you know, a good like a- point. I would I would put one of these inside my luggage because the, you know that bit where you're waiting for your luggage to come out of the big machine where no one knows where it goes. Like I find that horrible. Because usually I've been on a long haul flight and usually I'm very tired. And when other people's luggage comes out, I assume I've been there for hours. So that's a very kind of worrying time for me. Immediately, my mind goes to, well, I've lost my luggage and I'm going to have to wear these trousers that I've sat in for eight hours for the rest of my life. So like, (laughs) I I think, yeah, an air tag in in that particular instance would be be great. But no, I, I don't have one of these. Yeah, I'm not sure I have a use for it yet. I've seen a couple people mention this, and I think that this would have been a great idea, and it will probably happen in the future, is that Apple should have embedded one in the new Apple Siri remote, right? So you can you can actually find your remote. Mm. I, it is a, That's a genuine problem that I have, yeah. and I blame my children for it because they take that remote <laughs> and then they cram it places in the living room, like in, in some deranged game of hide-and-seek when it's like 9 o'clock at night, and I just want to sit down and watch Taskmaster on YouTube. Like, I can't. I can't. Because I can't find the remote. And I just get angry. Hashtag first world problems. Oh, oh the firstest. Come on. <laughs> like, I'm not complaining about real things. Just buy multiple of them. That's what I think. Oh, that's right. Or yeah. put it on a little bit of string. Like, put, put a bit of Velcro on one <laughs> end. And then put a bit of string. And then just mm-hmm. put that bit of string down the side of the sofa and attach it in there. Then it can only go in that bit of the sofa yeah because that's what i want i want uh (laughs) some some shitty velcro on the side of my on my nice apple tv remote how are you gonna attach an air tag that doesn't look crap if they built it into the if it was like okay they need to build it build it into that yeah i'll agree with that they also need to build it into the airpods case oh yes because i lose the airpods case more than i lose the individual airpods and you can't (laughs) track the case you can only track the individual airpods right yeah yeah but i i need it attached to all the things basically we should complain about more uh first world problems because i bet that that a lot of people are really identifying <laughs> with this nonsense i think so maybe i should get some on my glasses so when i'm wearing my glasses and i'm like where are my glasses i know that they're actually on my face <laughs> The number of times when I was young that my mom would be looking for her glasses and they would be on top of her head was was great. Yeah. Be like, Mom, just <laughs> right that you got they're right there. <laughs> I think I've gone from no air tags to now like hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> we should move on. We should go. We should keep going. <laughs> the next story. Oh God, here we go. This this is one that I that I threw in the mix here. Uh, Amazon's Ring is the largest civilian surveillance network the U.S. has ever seen, reported by the Guardian. In a 2020 letter to management, Max Eliaser, an Amazon software engineer, said Ring is, quote, simply not compatible with a free society. And we should take his claim seriously. One in 10 U.S. police departments can now access videos from millions of privately owned home security cameras without a warrant. 
What's more, once Ring users agree to release video content to law enforcement, there is no way to revoke access and few limitations on how that content can be used, stored, and with whom it can be shared. Ring is effectively building the largest corporate-owned civilian-installed surveillance network the U.S. has ever seen. An estimated 400,000 Ring devices were sold in December 2019 alone, and that was before the -the across-the-board boom in online retail sales during the pandemic. Amazon is cagey about how many Ring cameras are active at any one point in time, but estimates drawn from Amazon sales data place yearly sales in the hundreds of millions. (laughs) Holy cow! Data collected from Ring's quarter Quarterly reported numbers show that in the past year through the end of April 2021, law enforcement have captured more than 22,000 individual requests to access content captured and recorded on Ring cameras. Ring's cloud-based infrastructure supported by Amazon Web Services makes it convenient for law enforcement agencies to place mass requests for access to recordings without a warrant. Because Ring cameras are owned by civilians, law enforcement are given a backdoor entry into private video recordings of people in residential and public space that would otherwise be protected under the Fourth Amendment. In doing so, Ring blurs the line between police work and civilian surveillance and turns your neighbor's home security system into an informant. Except, unlike an informant, it's always watching. There's a little bit here that's that's kind of clickbaity, I'll be honest. Like, this is meant to be a little fear-mongering. I mean, I still don't like it. <laughs> yeah. But... I'm going to try and take the position of, like, that this is a help to society. We'll see if it pans out. I mean, it, it all depends where you put that camera. Yes. I think, really, doesn't it? Right. Yes. Here's my thought on this. Like an outward facing ring camera uh, that's on your front stoop pointing out to the street like you're basically filming public space 24 hours a day. Yes, you get a little bit of your private property in it. But in general, like you're filming public space. But also you are filming when you are in your house and when you are not in your house. Right. That is your official comings and goings from your property that you are logging. This is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But from the point of view of, like, a crime has happened in the area. Like, we had some break-ins to vehicles a couple months ago. Someone went around and just, you know, smashed windows and took stuff out of cars and stuff. And, like, there's a couple of ring doorbells on our block. And if the police could have been like, oh, we'll just gather up the recordings from these things and we'll see who did it and then we'll go get them. I'm like, okay. That, to me, is, is a boon to society. I 100% agree. However, that's not what this is. Because that would need a warrant. You'd get that with a warrant, right? Like, there is crime. This was recorded. Here's a warrant. Perfect. This is without a warrant. Yeah, that's fair. Mm. That That's where this turns into a horrible, weird invasion of privacy owned by a corporation. <laughs> as, as like dystopian as that sounds, that is the truth here, right? Like it's... It's a consent problem, isn't it? Poor Mr. Postman as well, who hasn't probably given his consent. Yeah. Comes up to your door, is on camera every day. Yeah. I like... The idea of this, if I'm honest, because it, you know, can help prevent crime, but also that's exactly what warrants are for, is it not? Like there has been a crime. Access to these recordings requires a warrant. Like just Amazon saying cameras exist down this street would be plenty if if a warrant existed. It's just the idea that they're always on and kind of always accessible. I just I, I hate how undefined this is without a warrant. Yeah, this just feels like one of those areas where policy needs to catch up with the actual technology here. Yes. Yeah. The fact that it's a private company, yes, you don't know what can happen to that video, like what that agreement you signed extends to in the future, how they can continue to sort of do whatever they wish with it. Yeah, just don't opt in then. And maybe try and choose the least of the creepy doorbells. Yeah. (laughs) I know we've covered quite a few of them today. I will certainly not be purchasing a ring doorbell anytime soon there's a slippery slope here and it's halfway down sliding 
So next up, we have This Week at 1Password, where we like to take you behind the scenes at 1Password. And joining me on the show today is Akshay, our Chief Product Officer. Akshay oversees our product direction, development, innovation, and vision, and is here today to talk about why he joined the team and what he sees as the vision of 1Password. So thanks for joining me, Akshay. How are things? Things are going fantastic. And thank you, Matt, for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, I'm very fortunate to be in a, you know, not only to be at one password, but also to be a place in the world where, you know, COVID cases are starting to come down and are trending downwards and things are slowly starting to get back to normal. So I'm doing very good. That's great to hear. So let's start at the beginning. You know, why did you initially decide to come on board at one password? Did you have any preconceived notions about the product before you joined? Yeah, no, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you asked this, Matt. I think, first of all, I'm just I'm ecstatic to be here. I feel so fortunate to be part of the the One Password family. Really, three big reasons that attracted me to One Password. First, is the culture, the products, and I think the future potential and opportunity. And I think you know a lot of people talk about culture, and it's something that sometimes it's just talk. But when I think about One Password and what the founders have built, it really is a genuine culture, really focused on being customer first, customer centric. And, and really focused on, you know, doing what's right for the customer, especially from a privacy and security standpoint. So that really resonated very strongly with me. The products, and you asked about preconceived notions, you know, one of the things is I was not a 1Password user before I joined the company, but I'd heard from many friends and colleagues and family about how amazing the product was. And as I started to get to learn about it, it definitely could resonate with that. And then the third big thing for me is, more about what we're going to do and the opportunity to take these products and build many, many great solutions on top of that. And I think that was one of the things that was extremely exciting to me as well. Yeah, those are three kind of really exciting areas. Like, do you think your views have changed around what the opportunity might be or or like, how has that changed since you started working here? Like, what's different now than kind of outside looking in, do you think? Yeah, my point of view has definitely evolved. And I think that there's some things that I came in with the assumption and they're definitely true. And in some sense, like just how remarkable the product is, not only it's true, but as I start using it every day, I, I realize I'm just as avid a fan of the product and the use cases that it can solve. It's to store all sensitive information, whether that's estate plans, digital wallet, password, secrets, all of that. So I think that is something that I resonate with and even resonate more strongly than I imagine. On the other side, I think there's things that as I look at the product, and obviously I have a very keen eye having worked on lots of different products, I see lots of opportunities. I start to see even more opportunities now that I'm at one password in how our existing products and future products can play as part of the broader ecosystem and help solve the most important challenges for everyday users, whether they're employees or consumers, but also specific pain points that. IT users might have or security users might have, developers might have. And so there's lots and lots of ideas that I've started to noodle on as I start to think about the opportunities. It's really fascinating how we've kind of come from a an area and like the product and the usage of the product has grown really based on the types of people that use the existing product, right? Like us having recently launched Secrets Automation and we've kind of announced it as our first step into the developer space. We've done this for a number of reasons, but one big one is like a lot of developers 
use password managers in general, but also specifically 1Password. Could you talk to me a bit more about like why developers, why this space and what are our aspirations here? Yeah, and you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think developers are early adopters. They're evangelists for, for new technology. And I think that 1Password as a company has had a very strong fan base amongst developers. And so I think building on that is something that is very logical for 1Password. And you know, a lot of the requests that we're getting to improve our products and, and new product categories that we get into are inspired by the developer community. And so Secrets Automation is a good example of this, you know, where developers using the product said, hey, we use the product, we love the product, but wouldn't it be, it would be amazing if instead of having to copy paste things from one password to orchestrate my machine to machine environment, it would be amazing if one password could be my central, you know, source of truth and orchestrate my secrets across my entire infrastructure and with being able to share it with my team members. So that's an example where developers help guide us, get us into that space. Now, the one thing I also say, Matt, is I do think that developers as a community is an area that's going to become even more strategic and important. You know, I just recently read the book, you know, Ask Your Developer by the founder of Twilio. And there's a lot of data out there and where competitive pressures are driving more custom development across every industry, across every function. You know, how you build your website, what your website entails, the products you build, the new applications you build, how you do security. All of these are being influenced by the developer community. And 1Password as a company, there's so much we can offer to the developer community beyond just like the secrets automation product. Like even things like how you build a really compelling website, you know, as we added our save to one password button, that can really help an organization differentiate and create a really compelling experience for their website. You know, secrets automation, we talked about that, just managing and securing how you share your secrets across your infrastructure. In security, helping to, you know, stream your security events and be able to do better correlation and actionable alerts to look at. One password can help with developers focus on the security space also. So there's so much we can do. And I'm so excited about continuing our efforts. I really think that secrets automation is just our entry point into all these great use cases that we're going to unlock for, for developers. One of the things that I can't wait until we get to the point of, I understand it, it won't be in the near term, but maybe in the slightly longer term, is actually hiring a developer evangelist for 1Password. When that position goes out, if it ever goes out, we'll make sure to mention it on the podcast because I think it will be one of the most exciting roles that we open here at 1Password. I'm 100% with you. And, you know, as we think about building out the product organization, you know, we are making a very dedicated focus to specialize in understanding more deeply the needs of developer community. And developer community is vast, like I talk about. There's website developers, there's security developers, there's DevOps, there's DevSecOps movement that's starting. And so we're really starting to focus and hone in, just focus on developers and solutions around that. You know, developer community, developer evangelism, those are all areas that we're going to be making far more investments. And I agree with you, Matt. We should definitely do a follow-up on the podcast as we share more of our plans there. Perfect. All right. So finally, it's been a short chat, but honestly, I, I think we'll have you on quite a regular basis. But what is your favorite thing about being part of 1Password, the company? Oh, that's such a, 
You know, that's a tough question because there's so much I love about the company. And I mean, you didn't get to go on a real cruise. You had to go on a virtual one, which it was still pretty good, but like there was no real cruise. So kind of, it might be the second best thing. Let's, <laughs> let's be honest. Yes, the best is still to come. But no, I think like, you know, the thing that I'm so excited about so many dimensions, like about all the opportunity, helping solve more of the IT challenges, the security challenges, developer challenges. But you know, if I had to net it down, the thing that I love about 1Password the most has to be the people. I mean, I think every day I come to work and, you know, the people that I get to work with, they're some of the brightest people, some of the most down-to-earth people, humble and super talented. So I just feel so fortunate every day. It makes being part of 1Password, working at 1Password, such a pleasure. And I just want to say a huge thank you to all of the people who work at 1Password for making it amazing company that it is. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Matt. So, Matt, Rue, shall we move on to Ask One Password? Oh, yes, please. This is our listener portion of the show, and we've had some great stuff come in this week. Firstly, can we just take a moment to appreciate this person's name on Twitter? I was going to mention it. Which is Waffles, 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 oh, which I think gosh. we can all agree is a great name. His name's Go. It's a pretty good one. Yeah. And yep. They say, incredibly enlightening interview with Sirio Matu on this week's Random but Memorable podcast. Here's one of the more horrifying results I've seen on Blacklight since hearing about it on the podcast. Thanks for shedding light on surveillance capitalism. And with the tweet, they've shared a screenshot testing tmobile.com on Blacklight. Oh my goodness. And I mean, we've spoken a lot about T-Mobile's approach to privacy and security on the podcast, so... It's not really surprising that they had 24 ad trackers oh and 46 third-party cookies that were found. Yeah. And this website could be monitoring your keystrokes uh, and mouse uh, clicks. Yeah. When you visit the site, it tells Facebook. The site allows Google Analytics to follow you across the internet. Yeah. yeah. And we have another one here from Analog Cyan on Twitter. They said, remember that silly little web app I made a while back inspired by 1Password's podcast, Random But Memorable? Well, it's had some updates since then. So uh, if you remember, they created a recipe password generator from a conversation we had many episodes back in season two. So yeah, they've <laughs> added a load more word lists. I'm assuming recipe and food related words to their catalog there. Oh gosh, that's so funny. I mean, it's great, but please don't use it as a password generator. No. <laughs> please, please instead use it. As a recipe generator. And it's good fun to play with if you just want to kill, you know, a few minutes. Milk, peach, falafel, grape, tofu, cabbage, enchilada. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. So, Matt, I think you are actually going to use this recipe password generator for three-word password. Oh, no way. That is correct. So, three-word password, the single worst way to share a password. We use cryptic clues to guess the three, and this week, Ooh, four, four mystery words created by our memorable password generator. Four, because the recipe password generator uh, by Analog Cyan, it generates four words. So that's what I used. Uh, so yeah, please don't use this as a replacement for a password manager or a password <laughs> generator. But yeah, here we go. So we have uh, four words. They're all uh, food related. Nice. I might actually be good at this one then. Okay. So a flowering plant of the ginger family 
Plants are gathered each year for their rhizomes, some for propagation in the following season and some for consumption. Long used in Ayurvedic medicine, it is also commonly used as colouring and flavouring agent in many Asian cuisines. The powder has a warm, bitter, black pepper-like flavour and earthy mustard-like aroma. What? There we go. So that's that's word number Ooh. one. I think I know this. Anna, what is it? I don't know how you say it, but turmeric or turmeric? That is correct. Oh, yes. yeah, okay. It is. Nice. Next word. A genus of four species of trees indigenous to Australia. Global production in 2015 was 160,000 tonnes. In Australian Aboriginal languages, it is known by names such as bauble, jindle, and jindilly. In 2014, it was part of an air rage incident at John F. Kennedy International Airport. Korean Air Vice President Heather Cho <laughs> was dissatisfied with the way a flight attendant served this on the plane, ordered the aircraft to return to the gate before takeoff. There you go. I'm not sure that oh. last bit helps, but it is quite fun. That is a confusing <sighs> clue. I see why you've... <laughs> You're right. A genus of four species of trees. So I, I originally was going to say eucalyptus. Yeah, except is that a food? No. It's not. Indigenous to Australia. What grows in Australia? 160,000 tons in 2015. Bopple, gindle, Oh, mm. man. I'm stumped on this one. And then it was served on a plane? Think, think of the things that you get served on a plane. <sighs> Fruit salad. <laughs> Wait a minute. It's not... No, I was going to say it's not peanuts, is it? I mean, it's not, oh. but you're thinking along the correct lines. Is it a cashew? The the particular issue here uh, in which started the air rage incident, it was because the CEO of Korean Air believed that these things should be served on a plate, but they were instead served in a little bag. Oh my God. What? <laughs> uh, okay, it is a nut, but it is nothing that you've mentioned. Okay, let's just start listing nuts. What? A Brazil nut. <laughs> <laughs> a macadamia nut. A cashew nut. That is, it is a macadamia nut, yes. Oh! Wow. There we go, we got there in the end. Uh, I didn't realise before I wrote this uh, that it is indigenous to Australia. So there you go. Me neither. Boy, you really had to lead the witness on that one. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so the next one. Ficus carica is an Asian species of flowering plant in the mulberry family. It is now widely grown throughout the world, both for its fruit and as an ornamental plant. It can be eaten fresh or dried and used in jam making. Uh, works as a filling to a widely produced biscuit. In some old Mediterranean folk medicine, the milky sap was often used to remove warts. Well, milky sap is something I could really stand not to ever hear again. Um, <laughs> oh, gosh. See, originally I thought this was a strawberry, but I don't think a strawberry is part of the mulberry family. So I, I think it's... Fig. You're correct again. Anna cleaning up on this <gasps> round. Wow. Yes. Nice. God. All right. I love this. Anna, you're just crushing it today. Okay. A baked egg-based dish originating in France in the early 18th century. It can be served as a savory main dish or sweetened as a dessert, working with ingredients including apple, berries, chocolate, banana, cheese, bacon, ham, spinach, and carrot. The name comes from the French term to puff or blow. <laughs> is it quiche? It is not a quiche. I have never had a chocolate quiche, but I really don't want to. <laughs> right? All right, listen, I had to do something. I, I really don't want to. I would give it a go, a chocolate quiche. I'm not going to lie. Really? 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Next time, next time we have we have dinner, I'm going to do a banana and chocolate quiche. <gasps> quiche. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would give that a go. Quiche, of course, known for containing mostly cheese. <laughs> it's going to contain cheese, chocolate, and banana. God, boy. Is it is it flan? I think. See, I've been watching a lot of Top Chef and Master Chef recently, and I think it's a souffle. It is a souffle. <gasps> wow. Woohoo. I mean, this makes me think that this should have been a competitive. Uh, thing and pit you against each other because that was a cleanup on very no. one sided. No, 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 no. This is a team win. <laughs> this is the round for me because I'm a self confessed foodie. So God, that was amazing. If I was going to do well a round of three word password, it was going to be this one. You don't have to make me feel like shit because we won, Matt. Like, that's not <laughs> I, cool. I, okay. I, I think uh, having these on a theme was actually kind of cool, but I, I think it would yeah. uh, require a lot more presses of the generator button next time oh yeah see me and rue yeah, need yeah. to collectively high five now <laughs> right off into the sunset <laughs> i think that is all we have time for today oh, this is great yeah God, it is such a good feeling to end on a on a game that i actually like it sends me off into the day not feeling angry <laughs> i mean i'm just thinking of a recipe i can make with these ingredients Woo. now yep yeah a, a turmeric macadamia fig souffle nutritious and delicious <laughs> well, <laughs> on that note love you both oh love you both love you both this was fun bye bye